This episode is brought to you by our sponsors and by listeners like you on Patreon. Bomba's vision is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you are also giving to someone in need. Bombas has designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes you can't wait to put on every day. The Webb family over here has used them, and we love them. They're comfy, fun-looking, and come in family packs, which is awesome. I've never seen that before. I use my Bombas socks when I go on runs, and they're extremely comfortable. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a cozy feel. And the Bombas t-shirts are made with thoughtful design features like invisible seams, soft fabrics, and perfect waist so they hang just right. And did you know that socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters? That's why Bombas donates one for every item you buy. So far, Bombas customers like you have helped donate over 50 million items of essential clothing. Go to bombas.com slash purple rocket and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash purple rocket for 20% off. Bombas.com slash purple rocket. Parents, school's out, summer's here, and the kids are back at home with a lot of free time. Go wild with wonder this summer without school. Enroll in a fun, flexible learning experience with over 140,000 online classes and camps for every kid with any interest. Look, as a fellow parent, I get the pressure of finding something engaging and useful for our kids to do over the summer break. OutSchool can help keep them engaged and their minds stimulating their imaginations firing. They offer every kind of class you can imagine, from entrepreneurship to freestyle dancing to art, even magic lessons. There's something for kids of all ages, grades, and interests. We homeschool in the web house, and we plan to get Aurora and Cohen signed up with some out-school activities to keep them engaged in a fun way and help them explore their talents and maybe discover some new ones. Out-school will have your kids loving to learn and having fun doing it. Head over to outschool.com slash purple rocket and use code purple rocket to learn all about out-school summer programs and save $15 on your child's first class. That's O-U-T-S-C-H-O-O-L dot com slash purple rocket to save $15 on your child's first class. Outschool.com slash purple rocket code purple rocket. And don't forget, parents, supporting our sponsors is a great way to support this podcast. And now back to our show. The Purple Rocket Podcast presents Grandpa's Globe. Episode 7, South Africa and the Hungry Hungry Hippos Sawyer and Susie landed on hard dirt and regained their balance. Their surroundings slowly stopped spinning to reveal a savanna, plains of tall grass, shrub, and sparse wide canopy trees. A couple giraffes stretched their heads up to take bites out of the highest leaves. At their legs was a pesky hyena, taunting them and biting at their feet. The giraffes kicked it away and continued their meal undeterred. 
Uh, I thought Grandpa said the globe was sending us on another mission, Sawyer said. It looks like it just sent us to the zoo. Susie flipped open the guidebook. It's no zoo. We're in South Africa. It says we're in Kruger National Park. It's one of the largest game reserves in Africa. Sawyer looked around. They reserve games here? This doesn't exactly look like an ideal spot for a game of Monopoly. A game reserve is a large area of land where wild animals can live safely, Susie clarified. They have zebra, lion, elephants, giraffes, rhinos, cheetahs, hippos. Whoa, 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 whoa. They have hippos? Like those huge hairless cows that can swim in the water? Um, yeah? Sweet! Maybe we'll see some cute, chubby little baby hippos. You got your baby pandas. Now I get my widow hippos. Sawyer, you loved those pandas. Psh, only a little, Sawyer said, secretly wishing he had a panda baby just then to squeeze against his cheek. He fiddled with the bulging black squirt gun his grandpa had given him just before they left. Did grandpa say what that thing is? Susie asked. Sawyer shrugged. Nope, but I kind of like it. Makes me look like a cowboy. Susie looked at her brother, whose pants were starting to sag from the heavy squirt gun pistol at his side. A cowboy he was not. Sure, she said. Their conversation alerted something hidden in the tall grass, which parted as a big fur-covered head emerged, growling softly. Sawyer and Susie locked eyes with a huge lion. Neither of them could move a muscle. Look what you did! You were talking too loud! We're dead meat! The lion's growl was louder now, making the twins jump back to attention. Sawyer crouched low. Yep, we're toast. The book seriously says nothing about this. Susie scanned over the page for the third time. Nothing! I can always whack it with the book if it gets too close. In a flash, the lion sprang at them, fangs bared. Whack it! Sawyer shouted. They both dropped flat to the ground as the lion soared over them. The sound of scuffling and yelps sounded behind them. They peeked their eyes open at each other and then slowly looked back. The lion was feasting on a zebra a few feet away, oblivious to the human spectators next to it. Susie grimaced and turned away. Ew, I can't watch, she said. Awesome, Sawyer whispered, watching the gruesome scene unfold. I suggest we give Simba some space, came an unseen voice. Startled, the twins turned to see an African man squatting next to them. He had dark skin, a black goatee, and he was bald, strong, and dressed in what looked like a green safari outfit. He nodded for them to follow. Step softly. Simba does not like being surprised, the man said quietly. As he started to lead them away from the dinner party, Sawyer's foot crunched a twig. The lion sat up, mouth covered in blood. Its massive head slowly swiveled towards them. Oh, we're gonna die, we're gonna die, we're gonna die, Sawyer whispered. Silence yourself, the man commanded. The second the lion saw them, it roared a terrible roar. Fangs opened wide, it jumped for Sawyer. Smack! The man backhanded the lion's nose, making it cower back. No, Simba, no! Let him be! The man stared intensely into the lion's eyes as if challenging him. After a few tense seconds, Simba conceded and went back to his zebra. 
the man led Sawyer and Susie well out of his way. I am Shaka, he said, standing tall before them. I am Susie. This is my twin brother, Sawyer. What are two American children doing here alone in South Africa? Susie tried to think up an excuse fast. Um, well, we're on vacation, and we thought we would... Get eaten by lions, Sawyer finished. Shaka nodded seriously. You have come to the right place. But I wouldn't recommend being eaten by a lion. There are far better ways to go. No kidding, Sawyer mumbled. What are you doing out here? I am here looking for my baby hippo, Popo. I have been tracking the poachers that took him three days ago. What are poachers? Susie asked. They are bad people who kill or take wild animals illegally, usually to sell them or a part of them for a large sum of money. Like this. He pulled out a white horn. A little tag hung from it like it was a t-shirt from a store's clearance aisle. This is a rhino horn. It belonged to a dear friend of mine, a white rhino by the name of Cabo. The poachers killed poor Cabo for this horn, but they were scared off before they could pack it away. Such rarities are worth much on the black market. You will also find elephant tusks, furs from rare endangered animals. It's all here. I'm afraid the poachers are taking my little Popo to a zoo. He's lactose intolerant and sensitive to gluten. They won't be able to take care of him. He played with the horn in his hand and then looked at them. You two must be brave to be out here on your own. You may prove useful. Would you like to join me in my quest? The twins thought for a moment. A quest did sound pretty noble and exciting. Susie looked down at the guidebook as words faded onto the page. They read, Follow Shaka. Susie looked up. Where do we start? Shaka pointed over the brush. A few hundred feet away, men were loading up crates onto flatbed trucks. Once the last crate was tied down, the men climbed in and drove off. We are following them. Shaka said. They jumped into a safari truck of their own and followed behind the caravan, being careful to stay just far enough behind not to be seen. Pretty soon they were driving into Cape Town, one of South Africa's capital cities. The city was beautiful. It sat against white sandy beaches overlooking the South Atlantic Ocean. Surrounding it, in the shape of a horseshoe, were beautiful mountains, Devil's Peak and Lion's Head, they passed through the city bowl, trying not to lose sight of the poachers' trucks up ahead. Finally, they came to a stop at the Table Mountain Aerial Cableway, a gondola ride that takes passengers all the way to the top of Table Mountain. Shaka and the twins parked the car and watched from a hiding spot as the poachers quickly loaded their crates onto the gondola ride. A chubby little head poked out of one of the crates and cried, Popo, Shaka said. It took great restraint not to immediately run to his aid, but Shaka knew better. There are too many of them. We must alert the authorities. With that, he pulled out a cell phone and dialed a number. Sawobona, Abazingeli, Basandewene Yegondala. While he talked, Susie nudged Sawyer and pointed to the poacher's trucks. Painted on the sides just above the back wheels was a little dragon. Unbelievable! These guys are everywhere, Sawyer said. No wonder the globe sent us here. This must be one of the ways the dragon makes its money. Shaka hung up the phone. 
Sawyer looked at him, confused. What language was that? I was speaking Zulu, one of the native languages here in South Africa, Shaka explained. I told the police where the poachers are, but I doubt they will get here in time. We must stop them ourselves. They watched as the poacher's loaded gondola glided up the cable. Shaka, Sawyer, and Susie ran over and jumped into the next cable car. After pushing a few levers, the car started its journey up Table Mountain. The view was breathtaking, terrifying, but breathtaking. They dangled hundreds of feet over craggy rock that overlooked the city bowl and coastline. Sawyer was not a fan of heights. Roller coasters, mountain highways with no guardrails, the lookouts at the Grand Canyon, all were a form of torture to him. Susie, on the other hand, jumped at any chance to get a beautiful view. She took the city in while Sawyer tried to stare at his feet. This is taking too long, Shaka complained. We'll never catch them like this. He broke open the control box, switched a few wires, and then pushed on the levers. Their gondola picked up speed and started to gain on the poachers up ahead. The poachers were oblivious to their approach. That is, until their gondola was rammed from behind. Rattled, the poachers gathered themselves and looked back at their attackers. Sawyer and Susie were trying to duck out of sight. Keep the gondola close, Shaka said. I'm going to stop them. Once I have them tied up, I'll come back for you. He packed a rope in his bag and then climbed out the top of the gondola. Sawyer shook his head. No, 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 no way. He's not gonna... Oh, yes, he is. That is so dangerous. Susie held the control lever in the forward position, keeping their gondola up against the poachers while Shaka stood on the gondola roof. To everyone's surprise, the man jumped from the roof and grabbed hold of the cables above him. Arm over arm, he made his way over to the poachers, his feet dangling thousands of feet over jagged rock. The poachers scrambled to their own gondola sunroof to meet him. Two climbed out just as Shaka landed on their roof. He fought them both at once, wrestling and exchanging blows, each attack nearly knocking them off the gondola. Oh man, it's like my karate movies, Sawyer cheered. Oh, I really want to watch this, but I can't. He looked out the window at the drop below the fighting men. Just stay down, I got this, Susie told him. Suddenly, the poacher's gondola jerked forward and then back, slamming into them. Shaka and the men on the roof almost flew off from the impact. Again, the poachers slammed their gondola into Sawyer and Susie's gondola, making Shaka lose his balance. One more slam and he was thrown from the roof. The children held their breath as they watched Shaka drop. Just before he could fall, he grabbed onto the cable above and climbed back into the gondola. They're getting away! he said in a panic. The poachers had hacked their controls as well and were now zooming up the cable much faster. When they reached the top, the crates were immediately slid out and loaded onto a plane. The top of Tabletop Mountain was flat, making for a decent runway. By the time Shaka, Sawyer, and Susie could make it to the top and push the poachers' parked gondola over enough to be able to hop out, the last of the bad men had boarded the plane. It started its takeoff. Popo! Shaka cried, reaching and running for the plane, but it was moving too fast. Now that Sawyer was finally on the ground, or at least a more secure surface, he could think straight. He looked down at the hefty black squirt gun pistol at his side. He wished Grandpa had taken 20 seconds to explain how to use it, but they were in a hurry to leave. 
so he guessed there was only one way to find out. He pulled it from its holster and took aim. Shoot the wheel, Sawyer, Susie encouraged. Sawyer did just that. With one eye squinted, he pointed the gun thingy at the wheel and BOOM! A black cable shot out high, missing the wheel and piercing into the plane's underbelly. The cable tightened and yanked Sawyer along. What the? he shouted. It's a grappling hook gun! Ooh, ouch, ooh, ow. The plane dragged him along the sandy rock until it lifted off the ground. Pretty soon Sawyer's shoes were floating off the rock. I'm Batman! Ha <laughs> I'm Batman! I'm... I'm gonna die! The sensation felt familiar. Painful memories of hanging off the back of a truck through Moscow came flashing back to him. He looked down at the rock that was now getting further away. Shaka and Susie ran for him. Using his long arms and legs, Shaka jumped and grabbed onto Sawyer before he could get too high. The added weight almost made Sawyer lose his grip, but to surprise he held on. Before he could lose strength, Shaka climbed up and took hold of the grappling gun, holding Sawyer in his other arm. Grab your sister, he ordered. Susie sprinted below them with an outstretched hand. The end of Tabletop Mountain was approaching. In fifty feet they'd be at the cliff. Sawyer tried to reach his foot out further for her to grab, but it was still too far. Susie ran and ran as hard as she could, every stride bringing her closer to the precipice. The plane reached the end of the mountain runway and soared upward, leaving Susie skidding to a stop at the cliff's edge. Susie caught her breath. She couldn't believe it. She'd missed it. A rope suddenly dropped at her feet. She traced it up to the plane. Sawyer held the other end of Shaka's rope and shouted down to her, Grab on! Susie grabbed on before the rope was pulled away. As soon as she held it, the plane swept her off the rock and up into the African sky. She climbed up the rope until she was holding on to Shaka next to Sawyer. Together they flew through the clouds. They flew over cities, mountains, and rivers. They soared over grassy plains full of trotting giraffes and stampeding wildebeests. Sawyer closed his eyes for most of the journey, while Susie relished the breeze in her hair. Shaka stoically held on to all of them. After what felt like hours of flying, they cruised over a sprawling city. That is Johannesburg, the largest city in South Africa. Known as the City of Gold since it was formed during the gold rush of the late 1800s. It is home to almost half of all the human fossils in the world and the tallest structure in all of Africa, the Hilbro Tower. He nodded at the building up ahead. Sawyer gazed off at the tower that looked like a giant lightsaber that had been stabbed into the heart of the city. It was huge, and it was getting bigger the closer they flew to it. It became so close that they could make out a worker eating his lunch on the roof. The plane swung them right by the worker, and as they did, Susie waved. Hello, she said cheerily. The stunned worker waved slowly and then tossed her a bag. She caught it and looked inside. A pile of fried dough balls warmed her palm through the paper. What is it? Susie asked. Shaka's face brightened. It is amaguinha, or in English, fat cakes. Fried balls of dough that you can eat plain or stuffed with whatever you like. Minced meat, apricot jam... Shaka stared at the ball in her hand and drooled a little. They are very common in South Africa. Go on, try it. Susie took a bite. It was hot, soft, and delicious. 
She gave Sawyer a bite and then handed it to Shaka so he could try, but instead of just taking a little bite, he popped the rest of it in his mouth. Oh, okay, Susie said. Susie, look! Sawyer pointed up at the plane. Above them, painted under the wings, was a dragon. They even own planes! I'm sure they own a lot more than that, Sawyer, Susie replied. After another hour or so, they landed in the middle of the wilderness. The landing was tricky and incredibly terrifying. Shaka had to pull them up close to the plane and hold them tight so that they weren't banged up and dragged when the plane touched down. Susie couldn't believe Shaka had held them for so long. His strength seemed inhuman. They hid back behind a tall shrub while the poachers unloaded the crates of furs, tusks, and live animals. Once the plane was emptied, they moved the goods onto a boat waiting on the banks of a river. Shaka clenched his fists when he saw the crate carrying Popo loaded roughly onto the boat. Forget this, I'm going to go open that cage, Sawyer said, stepping towards the boat. Sawyer, no, Susie whispered, but it was too late. Sawyer was crouching out of sight and sneaking up behind the boat, one hand still holding the bag of dough balls and the other in karate chop position. When he reached the boat, Sawyer tried yanking Popo's cage open. The baby hippo looked at him with adorable, sad eyes. Sawyer was doing this as much for himself as he was for Shaka. He'd always wanted to hold a baby hippo. Trying to stay out of sight, he set the bag of dough balls on the side of the boat and pried at the box. A few hard yanks and the crate door swung open. One of the poachers shouted something to the others, and the boat sped off before Sawyer could get little Popo out. Oh, you're kidding me, Sawyer said under his breath. Shaka and Susie ran up next to him. What are you, crazy? Susie said. You're lucky you're not in one of those crates. What were you thinking? I'm thinking I want to free Popo. Susie looked at Sawyer's empty hands. Sawyer, where are the dough balls? I'm a guinea, Shaka corrected. Sawyer cringed and guiltily shrugged. Susie groaned. Sick of wasting time, Shaka threw the kids into a nearby fishing boat and set off down the river after the poachers. For a good long while, they could see them up ahead. They cruised quickly along the river, passing through swamps filled with hungry crocodiles the size of their boat. When they pulled their eyes from the huge crocs, the poacher's boat was gone. Where'd they go? Susie asked. Looking like a worried mother who'd lost her child, Shaka sped up, anxiously scanning their surroundings. They came around a river bend that opened to a large swamp. It was empty, not even a ripple. A voice shouted behind them, Ima! Startled, they turned to see the poachers floating on the banks of the swamp, partially hidden by a few trees. They'd obviously seen them on their tail and lured them into the trap. Some of the angry poachers held weapons. Next to them, Popo and the other animals cried from their crates. <sighs> we must surrender, Shaka said. If we are lucky, they may let us go. They held their hands up. As the poachers coasted their boat towards them, a little pair of ears popped out of the mossy water unnoticed. Another pair of ears emerged. Then another, and another. Pretty soon, the little funnel ears surrounded the poacher's boat. Slowly emerging with them were big, bulbous snouts. With a few frightened shouts, the poachers cut the engine and hushed one another. Shaka smiled. Hippos. All at once, humongous hippos splashed up out of the water. Their mouths gaped open wide enough to eat a bathtub. 
They chomped down on the poacher boat, easily snapping off chunks with their arm-length tusks. Screaming and flailing around like orangutans, the poachers ditched their boat and swam for shore. When they reached it, they ran away as fast as they could, disappearing into the shrub. The piece of boat holding Susie's dough balls finally snapped off, dropping the bag into the water. Realizing the balls were within reach, the hippos turned their attention to the floating treat. They sprang on them, gobbling up several in one wide bite. To Sawyer and Susie, it looked like a live reenactment of the Hungry Hungry Hippo game. Shaka laughed. They just wanted Amaguinha. You are a clever, clever boy, he said, patting Sawyer on the head. Sawyer looked both ways. He hadn't intentionally left the dough balls on the boat. Yeah, pretty clever, he chuckled. Susie smiled and shook her head. You goofball. Come on, let's empty those crates. The three of them unloaded the crates on the shore, setting animals free and taking count of all the tusks and furs that were there. But before any of that, Popo came waddling up to Shaka like an excited little piggy. Shaka joyfully embraced him. Together they rolled around and played. Sawyer had to awkwardly interject the cuddle fest in order to get a hug in himself. And as he'd predicted, it was everything he imagined it would be, and more. A big ball of squishy cuteness, more jelly rolls than a Swiss bakery. To him, cuter than the baby pandas. After a few minutes of celebration, Popo stepped back. He turned his chubby head back at the big hippos in the swamp. One of them had come ashore and was looking at him as if waiting. Popo looked back at Shaka, who was starting to tear up. Iya, go, he said, waving at the little hippo. Don't worry. Be happy. With a little pep in his step, Popo waddled to the mama hippo, and together they stepped into the water. Shaka was real quiet after that. He didn't say much while they took the crates to the nearest village. They handed the tusks and furs over to the authorities and told them where they last saw the poachers. Shaka bowed to Sawyer and Susie and finally spoke. You have done a great work here. Words cannot adequately express my gratitude. I hope we didn't take up too much of your vacation. Glad we could help, Susie replied. She looked down at the guidebook. It read, Look at the clock in ten. Nine. The numbers from the countdown faded in and out. Oh boy. Well, Shaka, it was a pleasure meeting you. But we really have to go. She looked at Sawyer and pointed to the guidebook. Right, right, Sawyer said, getting her hint. Nice knowing you, Shaka. Hope you find another baby hippo. The twins turned in a hurry and ran into the village, looking for a clock. The guidebook countdown continued. Three. They looked around desperately. Two. They rounded a corner and stopped next to a tower. One. They looked up. You've been listening to Grandpa's Globe, a production of the Purple Rocket Podcast. Don't forget to sign up on our website at purplerocketpodcast.com to receive weekly updates of new episodes. And be sure to tune in next week for an all-new story. 
This is your host, Greg Webb.